Welcome, everyone. My name is Scott Shepard, and I'm the host and founder of the City's First podcast. We're really excited to have here today Roger Spitz. Roger Spitz is based in San Francisco and is an international best-selling author, president of the Texistential Climate and Foresight Strategy, and chair of the Disruptive Futures Institute. Roger has given hundreds of keynote talks globally, frequently contributes across leading media, and as well is a thought leader in uh, guest lecturing many of the world's most prestigious academic institutes. So welcome, Roger. Thanks for joining us today. Wonderful. Great to be with you, Scott, on the <clears throat> City's First podcast. Thank you so much. I think this is our 11th episode, and we're really... Nice. Kind of, yeah, no, thank you. Um, and we're really broadening our focus now into uh, investor tech as well as innovation and just getting your... Um, personal and professional take on um, putting the finger in the pulse of what's happening in AI as well as disruption, I think will be of immense value to our audience and subscribers. So I'm really excited to kind of uh, do this deep dive with you today. But uh, maybe before we start, if you just want to spend just a few seconds um, giving us a little overview in terms of, um, you know, what you've been working on recently. Sure. No, that, that's great. Thanks for that. Um, so I'm a reformed investment banker. I used to be global head of M&A um, for one of the banks. But uh, these days I have kind of two hats, as you mentioned. One is Tech Essential, which is technology and existential, which is a foresight strategy practice. Um, so that's consulting for, for strategic foresight and futures. And then we have an education platform, which is the Disruptive Futures Institute, which is basically helping build capacity around resiliency and futures intelligence. And so a lot of our work is, is really focused on, um, on supporting organizations um, understand better how to think about the, the future. And a key role in that is really systemic transformation. And so we're spending a lot of time in, in climate as well and subtopics around urban cities, mobility. Um, and about to launch our Disruptive Futures Institute, our Sustainability and Climate Academy, um, to kind of support the energy transition through through knowledge and um, a better understanding of uh, what's effective change versus, you know, just ticking the box kind of things. Yeah, and getting past the uh, kind of the siloed approach to um, embracing the complexities, but taking a, uh, a viewpoint that um, actually uh, solves real world problems. So with that, we'll uh, get very to much. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, most of our listeners know our format. We go through about uh, three or four questions. We kind of have this as really a platform for you and all of our guests to really kind of give us your own personal take and our audience kind of draws their own conclusions, which is really kind of our modus operandi for the uh, cities first. So with that, we'll just kind of kick off with our first question for you, um, which is how will the latest wave of AI innovations impact the climate tech sector? Yeah, so listen, there's a there's kind of a lot going on, and it's it's really you know one of the things I try and do as best I can is uh, support the kind of noise from the hype and that. But there are a lot of fundamentals which are quite you know important and which are very supportive to to we think the energy transition. Um, <clears throat> maybe just to take a step back, our perspective in, in terms of AI for for us, a lot of the kind of noise is around generative AI and and the LLM models and that. Um, I think fundamentally, there are two inflection points which are supporting a lot of the, the developments in AI. The first one is, is really just computer vision, and the other one is, is natural language processing. And I think those two combined, together with what's happening on the kind of hardware side with semiconductors, 
um, is 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 kind of very much um, an inflection point for for the field. And then a lot of what comes from after that is really kind of just because of how much computer vision and and language models have have sort of progressed in that. Um, the the focus for us is, I think you kind of alluded to it, is very much what's effective versus what's you know just a nice press release or 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 what have you, and and things that really focus on pain points for for cities for society for you know ultimately real problems that that need resolving um and i think one of the areas i find that's extremely helpful for for ai is to drive the accountability traceability and transparency i think one of the the challenges for for the field is kind of how do you mitigate the you know the <clears throat> the wrong incentives and the kind of greenwashing and things like that and i think where AI plays a significant role for, for us is that supporting role to change in terms of enforcing some of these um, challenges. So whether it's supply chain transparency, whether it's um, um, satellite with AI, with communications, with other things which help, you know, monitoring what's happening on the planet in terms of tracing um, some of the you know, deforestation or carbon emissions or, or you know, drone imagery with plastics and these kind of things. Uh, very interesting companies like Ellipsis and others. Um, on the fires, fires, it's, it's you know, 50 to 100 billion um, average annual cost of wildfires, not to mention what it's doing to the planet. And so there's, there's you know, more and more technology that's supporting a better understanding, prevention of the fire risks, um, food and water wastage with water measuring. Um, and then on the ESG side, you know, to help investors understand better what's kind of real versus not real companies like Echo Verdes and others, which are supporting on the AI side. So that's kind of one facet of, of kind of support. The other one is what I'd call you know, the concrete on the ground support. And I think, you know, Drove AI is, is a good example of that, micromobility or for, for, for urban and that, where you really have a major pain point where we know certain things that are supportive of the energy transition. And micromobility is, of course, one of the, the important ones. And we're effectively today, unless you find better ways of doing you know, supporting the cities, being consistent with the legislation and, and all the sort of day-to-day -day usage cases of, of consumers and the complexities of a, of a city and individuals, um, it's it's going to sort of be be more tricky. And I sort of see a strong role of, of AI in supporting with that. Um, there's another facet, um, the most well-known facet, and that gets a lot of noise, but I, you know, um, is, is obviously, you know, the transition towards electric vehicles and that i think that uh in terms of um improving battery life improving the understanding of uh being able to kind of understand better the life cycle and some of the challenges around you know repairs and that i think ai can play a role in terms of monitoring um upgrading developing electric vehicles um in a way that doesn't require the sort of too quick obsolescence or, or or what have you. So I think there's a very important supporting role on the life cycle of EVs. Of course, AI is often associated with, with autonomous driving, which we can put aside for now, but on even just basic electric vehicles, 
um, one doesn't necessarily realize how much is going on to to improve that that life cycle and and the repairs and that. And the final thing, maybe, which is where I spend a lot of time, um, I'm with a company called Service on the Climate Intelligence Council, is really supporting to make decisions um, around understanding better the the longer term deeply uncertain outcomes of different climate scenarios you know when when a company has assets whether it's in a city or or just generally um you have hotels or infrastructure or bridges and you need to make decisions today in terms of investments you need to prioritize what you're focusing on how do you build the resiliency you know you own 200 hotels or you're running a city um, how do you improve the resiliency in that? How do you make the decisions for things that are deeply uncertain, um, 5, 15, 20 years away, but require investment now? How do you prioritize them and what do you decide to do or not do? And, and climate intelligence is a way of, of enabling the adaptation for climate resiliency for the transition risk and the, and the physical risk. So it's not necessarily just even, uh, let's say, predictive models for climate migration per se, but actually uh, weighing the costs and benefits for uh, risk related to investment and kind of amortizing that in the future, whether it's from an insurance perspective or from an investment perspective and really kind of fortifying that knowledge base so that uh, the the different stakeholders can have a much clearer view of all these different uncertainties. Would you say that's sort of what you're... Yeah, I think that's right. We, you know, we have, um, we spend quite a bit of time in terms of where does AI fit in the value chain with different kind of technologies and that. And indeed, there's a kind of big debate between, you know, how much is prescriptive versus predictive, mm -hmm. and how good is prediction models, you know, of course, machine learning and neural networks are, are making incredible progress every day. But but there's something more fundamentally when environments are complex as opposed to complicated, so non-predictable, yep. non-linear, where yep. you can't necessarily ascertain cause and effect ex ante. Um, those kind of complex environments and, and cities and a lot of climate are are not the best to to support predictive. And like something which is just that's you know, what I was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so climate intelligence. Yeah. No, you're so you're so right. And it's you know, thanks for putting your finger on that. So climate intelligence, for instance. It's not seeking prediction in the sense of, oh, this is going to be the outcome we do yeah, this. It, right. It's Straight a way line. of, <laughs> exactly. It's a way of kind of bringing um, a monitoring of early warning signals, taking into account certain patterns, uh -huh. um, <clears throat> developing certain scenarios in terms of possible outcomes, putting some form of kind of hierarchy around them, taking the past you know 100 years of climate events, continuing to have machine learning kind of update them, um, and ultimately, without it being predictive in the sense of, you know, oh, this is what the model says, which, which right. you know, one has to take with caution, one does need certain information and one does need to make some decisions today despite the uncertainty. So it's really trying to kind of support effective decision-making, climate-aligned information to then make the prescriptive part as humans yeah, as yeah. to how to allocate capital mm -hmm. and where to prioritize resiliency. Exactly. Um, so it's not the panacea, but at no. the same time, you, you don't want to ignore the, you know. It's not a single point of truth, but it's actionable to take the next step and, yeah, it, and to reduce the risk. Yes, totally. That's really great to hear. Thank you, Roger. So next uh, question, we're going to really shine the spotlight on you now is tell us about the Thriving on Disruption book series and how it, how did it come about? 
No, thanks. Thanks for that. And indeed, spent quite a bit of time on it and passionate about it. Um, <clears throat> so, listen, the backstory is is um, to the discussion around prescriptive, predictive, and yeah, predictability difference. Yeah. Um, I I I was kind of in a pretty you know predictable job in uh-huh. in mergers and acquisitions. You know, so in that, and I still have a foot in. You know. I'm, Still a sort of advisor to to Vector Partners, which actually is an investor in Drover, but I still have a foot in that. But for 20 years, I was full-time an investment banker. And you're kind of, you know, you're advising CEOs, the founders, the shareholders, the boards, and that on, on their most strategic either acquisitions or divestments. And you kind of feel that you're looking forward strategically. You kind of feel that this there's some degree of visibility, that it's you know, strategic and, and long-term thinking. And then <clears throat> Over time, especially covering technology, I got a little bit more interested in in going down the rabbit hole around um, change. I was finding that the 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 world wasn't maybe as simple as as one often kind of assumes. The mindsets were not were maybe too linear for the reality of the world, and the questions and existential questions of companies or individuals as to what's happening in the world weren't necessarily resolved by the kind of plug and play, more more kind of straightforward playbooks. And so that led me to to really a deep dive. I was in London for 20 years and then moved to San Francisco six, seven years ago. And it led me down a rabbit hole around trying to really try to understand better systems thinking, complexity, foresight, futures, and that did a bunch of micro courses with some of the best organizations in the world. And the outcome of that is that I actually felt that there was a disconnect between my kind of more transactional day-to-day mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> life and, and really what I started believing, which is that the world is non, you know, non-linear, unpredictable, uncertain, and that that the cost of making the assumption of that unpredictability was going was increasing steadily as as we yes. had more uncertainty Indeed. and that that observation was kind of even before the pandemic but the cost of making the assumption historically you'd have a big 2000 crash or 2008 crash mm-hmm. um and and a lot of the world would you know be very hurt some would recover some weren't but the fundamentally yeah, yeah. The, yeah, exactly. Fundamentally, the the mindset was there'll be a go back to normal. Yeah, you go back to the reset. Well, that was the assumption, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So people would sort of say, okay, there's a kind of from time to time there'll be a bit of write off, but never mind. And my my yeah. deep conviction was that things were more systemic and and that. And so I I decided to stop investment banking. I took on a few board positions. I decided to really spend time on what at the time, you know, thinking about decision-making in complex, uncertain, unpredictable environments Mm -hmm. probably esoteric for a lot of the world. But as soon as the pandemic hit and I spent more time publishing and writing a few articles and talking about these topics, obviously, suddenly they became zeitgeisty and probably the most important question for so much of the world. So much so that we got asked to do courses and executive programs and board strategy sessions and that. And that led me to to basically develop a lot of this content. I was lucky enough to meet uh, Lydia Zwin, who's a very bright, a few decades younger than me, young journalist um, who was in Sao Paulo at the time. She's now in Sweden. She's also focused on, on emerging technologies and she's a futurist but she's also a professor she's an academic she comes from the humanities background she writes science fiction and she basically helped me put together this idea that a lot of what we're preparing for using for executive education for companies was equally relevant for individuals 
And we thought we would kind of package them as guidebooks and release them to the to a general audience. Mm-hmm. And so effectively, the guidebooks, which which are kind of quite yes. big and kind of here, oh, you can't see them on the <laughs> okay, I see. But that. they're quite yes. big and 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 that. But effectively, they're the outcome of years of of courses and programs and insights that we're getting from the foresight practice, from practitioner-led case studies, where we just had developed a lot of insights, frameworks, case studies, checklists, toolkits, which we felt were potentially equally relevant for the general audience, and so spent a bit of time converting them to that. So that's that's really what we focus on today. And then whether it's a book, whether it's a talk, whether it's a course, whether it's a consulting, there's, there's that kind of underlying thread of helping people get more comfortable with uncertainty, think in a more structured way systemically around change and and next order implications and understand that you're better off not seeking to predict and you're better off asking what if and rather than spend the the rest of your life saying, oh, this was unimaginable, this had never happened before, which is becoming a little bit formulaic for people who aren't sort of practicing anticipatory governance effectively. A little less, like you said, formulaic, a little less uh, straight line predictive and a little bit more critical thinking, a little bit yeah. more complex and understanding and accepting a bit of the unknown, accepting the risk, and then uh, basically taking all these inputs and uh, planning accordingly uh, w- with, with uh, you know, this, this uncertainty. So that's really super relevant for the world we live in. Um, it's really exciting that this was born, you know, another <laughs> silver lining from the pandemic was the work that you're doing, you know, because it kind of happened during that time as well as mm-hmm. uh, Drover itself. Drover AI was conceived, uh, you know, in the height of the pandemic. So a lot mm-hmm. of these innovations happen at these kind of inflection <clears throat> points, you know, in society. So, um, it, you know, it, I, I would say I'm a bit more of an optimist and there's some exciting times to come for these new uh, ways of thinking and, and disruption. So, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Roger, for uh sharing that here. So um, next question, a little bit deeper dive is now about decarbonization. So um, just want to get your thoughts on how can decarbonization of the transport sector specifically be given greater prominence amongst investor and VC portfolios? Yeah, no, that's that's very important because that, again, is the, the acid test of, you know, um, <clears throat> when ideas or technologies, innovations um face the real world and confront the real world what what makes uh investors want to invest and then investments be be fruitful just before i i get back to that to that i just wanted to, to react to what you're saying it's it's spot on and it's very interesting indeed the journey as well of, of drove ai and and for us disruption is actually neutral so it's it's not necessarily positive fundamentally or, or negative it's it's just something that we have to understand that change is a constant and much of what happens as a result of change is going to depend on how you see the world, how you prepare for it, and um, and then how you respond to to things that maybe you couldn't think about. And so very much so, I see it as, a, as an opportunity. Fundamentally, we're actually very positive because <clears throat> for us, if we didn't have change and disruption, first of all, it wouldn't allow some of the opportunities and innovations and, and new ideas to come. There'd just be continuity. But also, it would mean that things are predetermined um as opposed to having a blank page and and agency freedom and choice so so we see all, see all this as very much kind of neutral to to positive um in a world that's that things aren't predetermined now getting back to kind of the very specifics of maybe the investment cycle 
um, in terms of you know how can decarbonization for the transport sector give you know that much more prominence for for investors for their portfolios. Um, so the the first thing I think I'll start to say is that although it's it's got a little bit of a hit recently, just simply in terms of the VC cycle, not necessarily um, climate. Um, fundamentally, the past few years have seen you know record contributions and investments in in energy and transport so you know 100 150 dollars i think in 2021 22 um across you know wind solar um, hydrogen fuel cells batteries electric vehicles a lot of micro mobility like yourselves and that so so i think the the base level um understand that some of the valuations have changed understand that the world has has changed and that but but fundamentally i think it's been you know, if you take the past few years, you know, we don't just focus on trends or the, you know, just one month, two month cycles. But I think fundamentally, it's it's kind of captured the understanding of of change. Within that, there's green energy. There's you know anything to do with you know producing, um, so that for the decarbonization, obviously the, the energy production itself, the then the storage, and um, grid management, all of those kind of um, features are continuing to receive investments um in a meaningful way um across not all stages. sorry sorry across all stages seed yeah i mean listen there's there's a decrease on everything right but there's a decrease in in values and there's there's not so much across everything whether it's those or, or others but today you still have you know it's not as if the world is thinking oh it doesn't make sense to think about alternative energy production or it doesn't make sense to think about the important um you know, pain point of electric vehicles with uh, with duration, with battery life, with storage, or or to think about cities in terms of you know grid management, um, and that. So, I think that without a doubt, and 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 then you have mobility, which also electric vehicles and uh, you know battery charging and all of these things are continuing to see you know a lot of a lot of regions, countries, California, others where you guys are very present um are actually you know legislating the easing out of, of fuel you know cars and that as as you know so so fundamentally and plus a lot of positive inflection points they're not all vc driven but you know around the recharging and the agreements with tesla and the infrastructure and that so you so that's that's I think is is still let's not ignore that because I think that compared to five years ago, ten years ago, you're still talking about hundreds of billions and trillions in value, which are going to shift in terms of business models, value creation, and value destruction within the broader theme of energy transition and decarbonization. Now, what happens with the investor cycle and the VCs, of course, and this is one of the the challenges of of, of the field and and that is several fold i guess one is really thinking about the different type of investments and long and cycles right so you have a lot of the the recent legislation and and the budgets which governments are putting aside to to support the infrastructure my sense is that more and more that can only be effective especially with complex topics like this and infrastructure when they are kind of public and, and private and i think the fact that there's an increasing willingness and and actually money and checks being written on the sort of public side, plus legislation, plus different kind of long-term funding by institutions, plus then the VCs can have a role. I think the VCs are more challenged 
when they're meant to step up for things that they don't feel are necessarily the asset allocation or the the capital allocation that that warrant their kind of risk return profile. Even though, obviously, you know, when a venture fund goes into climate tech, hopefully they understand that it's not a consumer gadget or TikTok lookalike. But, but, but so that. That context, I think, is supportive. You know, we talk a lot about the the negative inflection points and the dangerous um, turning points around climate, but there are some virtuous inflection points, I think, around some of these themes and decarbonization, which then will make it more comfortable for for VCs to to invest. Now, I think the final point I want to kind of make, which is probably one of the most important and difficult ones for sort of the VCs to get around is the challenge of appreciating um, the complexities of climate. In other words, you're dealing with, you know, the raw material debate. You're dealing with the complexities. I mean, you're one of the best examples there is of complex adaptive living systems of a city, of urban life, of transport. Um, and so, you know, each innovation, whether it's cement for better, better buildings or whether it's micromobility or whether it's, you know, battery life or storage or what have you, each of those separately are kind of like point solutions. And really, the only way you'll get effective energy transition, of course, as, as you, you know very well, and but just to contextualize for the, for the audience, is if we make that distinction between, you know, point solutions and transformative and systemic innovation, if we understand that you know, normally in the VC world, you know, if you think about the the NASA technology readiness level and you think about zero being academic research and nine being commercially available, normally once you hit six or seven, you're kind of about to roll it out. You've tested things. You've, you know, you're comfortable in a sense in relation to developing the technology and prototyping it. And you get sometimes what you call the, you know, the Silicon Valley or technological valley, valley of death, right? And here you, and, you know, so many companies know about it, you, you struggle to, to gain the funding despite the proof of concept in controlled environments to scale it. Now, the additional challenge, and this is the thing which, why it's so important to have, you know, VCs that are, have the right people, the right skills and right understanding of, of actually the topics we're talking about, complexity, systemic change and that, is that in addition to the sort of technology value of death of not getting the funding post kind of prototype and that, a post proof of concept is, is the kind of commercialization value of death for green inv investments. And we're not using this in the sense of, the value of death that's insurmountable. We talk about something that we just need to understand that when you scale and roll out complex or technologies or, or innovations which interact with the complex world, then most of the decarbonization and transport and all of this is complex adaptive systems. You can't treat it as a kind of point solution. And my hope is that as the industry matures, as the understanding of investors in, improve, as some of the virtuous inflection points continue to develop and the funding, is that those who work in VCs and who support and those advisors understand some of the things we're talking about from a practical use case pain point perspective. Exactly. To see how to drive transformative innovation versus a tick the box. It's a bit like greenwashing. It 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 unfortunately doesn't move the needle. And so 
and and but that distinction, you know, more and more venture capitalists, I know it because I I work, you know, I'm I'm an LP in some VCs, I work at the Vector Partners, I also an advisor and LP in um, in Berkeley Skydeck. I see the way a lot of these VCs and advisors and companies think, and more and more they understand this commercialization value of debt and the complexities of scaling in real life. And I'm saying this not in a negative way. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, therefore people should invest. I'm saying that the better understanding one has of what the nuances and, and differences are for climate and what drives transformative innovation, the better the, the, the VC money can be allocated to real pain points, to real solutions, which will drive change as opposed to kind of tick the box thing. And that's that's for me is is really how to get VCs to think about that. It doesn't help to have so much hype around you know some of the the AI themes or whatever, um, but but hopefully the more savvy and the bigger and real capital that can move the needle in a context of systemic change and and broader different um, capital allocation and and asset allocation understand the cycle of interventions and levers for effective investments and and change. Indeed, uh, we have to move past, you know, uh, solutions looking for problems and actually identifying the pain points and building the tech from that direction. So kind of built, going, working backwards, and yeah. getting the capital that aligns with these really um, clearly defined, uh, you know, problem sets that uh, are also commercially scalable to move past, like you mentioned, the value of death, and then really uh, building an entire business around uh, an approach that... Um, is much more um, uh, rooted in in the real world. So I think that that's really key here. Yeah. So we're kind of uh, running out of time here, but um, I think uh, what we'll do now, uh, maybe just a few minutes, a very short question for you, then we'll mm -hmm. wrap it up, is how can the post-COVID city, no, yeah, okay, sorry. How can the post-COVID city or metropolis leverage mm -hmm. disruption and entrepreneurship for greater resilience? So. It's a lot. It's a longer question, but a little shorter answer. <laughs> yeah, listen, these these are big, big, important topics. I think um, the probably the first starting point is actually the key takeaway of what we discussed in the previous point, right? Which is understand systemic transformation. So understand you need to master hardware and software, how it all integrates. Not think in silos. Think about the different different capital requirements. Think about public policy alignments. Think about ecosystem corporations and all that. So I think there's an element which is which is that. But fundamentally, the way we think about it is to basically design for changing climate conditions. So if you take, um, you know, for instance, when there were the heat waves in Europe and people suddenly realized, oh, the buildings weren't in the right kind of materials and the bridges weren't and the you know, the landing things and strips and airports and that, or even the data centers were not that made to. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, but it's just, it's just the beginning and it's just kind of anecdotal, but, but it isn't because that's where you realize that the data centers don't work and the water systems don't work. And <clears throat> effectively resiliency is, is having some redundancy, having some slack and having almost like an adaptive, um, an adaptive um, infrastructure, adaptive models, adaptive ecosystems that are kind of 
not designed for specific assumption which is being made, but designed for changes in the circumstances. And so this brings you to, to models which are going to be emerging business models, which are not going to rely on a single point of failure. So I'm just going to give a one-minute anecdote to illustrate this, even though it's not necessarily directly climate, but it's it's all related because if your data centers go down and you can't deal with healthcare and you can't communicate, I mean, that is that is not resilient for a city or for society Obviously. or for anything. Um, but the, the, the idea of single point of failure, you know, if you think about, for instance, how all the consultants spend their time trying to optimize things and have things hyper efficient and, and all when you're doing that, you're creating a single point of failure. Yeah. And effectively, you know, if you think about not to mention necessarily this, this tragedy, but just it's a, it's a very helpful analogy. If you think about um, satellites, the normal satellites are, are satellites like Viasat. And when Russia invaded Ukraine, you suddenly had basically the intention of breaking communication off from the entire Ukraine by sort of switching off Viasat. And that was done effectively. Mm -hmm. When you think about the low Earth orbits and what basically Starlink was able to do, these are decentralized. And basically, they don't have a single point of failure. Maybe if you look at the mass or the consultants, they tell it's not efficient, it's this, there's wastage, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that that is basically what needs to be done. You need redundancies, you need to break the silos, you need to blur the boundaries, you need to have adaptive living systems and and that analogy with satellites is very is very important because effectively unless you have things which can adapt to future change including unknown change you're going to basically have a point you know a single point of failure and therefore by definition not resilient so that's kind of how we look at it yeah yeah and that's so relevant for the post covid city in terms of how we're the theme around resiliency and uh, you know, what is the path forward? So with that, I think we're probably going to wrap it up here. So uh, Roger, uh, maybe if you could tell us where we can find you on social media, as well as other different channels, you know, look for your book and, you know, on uh, LinkedIn, uh, your website, as well as maybe other types of communications. Now, that's great. Thanks so much for, for, for asking. So all of our content and education is generally through the Disruptive Futures Institute. So if you if you Google that, you'll see we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on uh, LinkedIn a lot and, and various newsletters and that. So Disruptive Futures Institute um, has the most social media channels. We'll be ramping that up quite significantly, including free content, including YouTube and that. Um, the books are available. We're not necessarily crazy about Amazon that they're available at most bookstores and e-commerce and Barnes and Nobles and Apple and many others. But it so happens that some people find Amazon convenient, both print to order or ebooks. They're four volumes. We try and be as clear as possible as to what's in each one and feel free to to kind of order those. We have a dedicated website called Thriving on Disruption, which is related to the book. Website. And um, and basically, you know, I think anybody who's interested in these topics, even for free, can just follow us and, and we try and share um, some of the key key ideas on that in different form factors. And those who are interested in purchasing, we also give courses and, and everything. Right. So uh, please feel free to DM me directly, even if you're just intrigued, disagree with anything, have questions. I, I, I love to exchange. I learn a lot from those feedback loops. 
that that fits with the uh, purpose of the cities first too. It's just kind of have this open exchange and kind of learning from each other. Uh, so just want to thank you so much, Roger, for your time here. We'll be uh, promoting um, your work as well as Tech Essential and your, uh, you know, four book uh, volume series um, via social media channels when this podcast is published. Um, and uh, basically you can find the Cities First podcast on Apple, Google, YouTube, Spotify, um, Amazon, and other channels. So again, thank you so much, Roger. It was a real pleasure uh, kind of collaborating with you. Probably we'll definitely have you for a part two, uh, maybe coming up soon, um, as well as kind of some of our other guests. And uh, th thanks so much for your time. It's been a real kind of a, a treat to kind of learn about just this interplay of investment, disruption, uh, kind of unknown, um, as well as the transformation of kind of technology and uh, complex ecosystems. Or from my perspective, really, I, I like to say, as I think you and I both chatted about previously, was cities and metropolitan areas being living organisms. And they're yeah. not near, and there's so many different unknowns and inputs, and we need to embrace those as such. And the, the sooner we get to that realization uh, the, the better we're, we're able to kind of identify these real world pressing challenges, leveraging the best of technology, such as AI, AVs, EVs, et cetera, to actually start uh, getting past checking off the boxes and making real progress. So again, thank you, Roger. And it was a treat and we'll, we'll have you back again soon, I hope. No, for sure. And it, I really enjoyed that, uh, Scott. And I, I completely agree. I think uh, the, the beauty for me and so grateful for the invitation with the City's First podcast is that it is it is really literally a living organisms you're, you're focusing on and talking about. And so the relevance of what we're doing is just there's no disconnect. I mean, it's just exactly the kind of use cases and, and considerations we think about and no better example. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Roger. OK, so uh, with that, uh, we'll join everyone next month and uh we will um look forward to our next episode thank you roger that's great thanks a lot have a good rest of the day